Good morning. Welcome again to Morning Devotions. And thank you again so much for our time together. What a privilege and honor to come to your homes. Psalms chapter 91 is where we always start. And again, let me ask some of you young people, college students, I want you to go outside. Now, please, we've been indoors so much, we want to see the outside. Okay, so go outside, sit under a tree. Those of you who live in the province, please send us pictures of the rice fields and and the, the pineapple fields and all of the things that we're missing getting to see right now. Sometimes you just miss getting to see all the nature. So go outside, stand in the middle of one of those and read the Psalms 91, verse 1. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. I will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. For he will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence. He will cover you with his pinions and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and a buckler. You will not fear the terror of the night, nor the arrow that flies by day, nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousand at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the recompense of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and the adder, the young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. I want us to pray today for all of those with cancer. Sometimes in the middle of this COVID-19, people forget you, and we don't want to forget you. Jesus is your healer. And you're a little even more afraid than you were before. And you don't need to be. Because he loves you. And because you love him. He will satisfy you with a long life. So I want us to pray right now. And as we pray for all of our members, I'd like to ask all of our members to pray for an old friend of mine, Pastor Mark Horan from Rockhampton, or not from Rockhampton, from Sydney. Uh, he called me early this morning and shared with me that he has a low-grade uh, blood cancer. And we just want to pray for him that this thing to leave his body, he's healed and strong in Jesus' name. Father, we lift you, all of our members, all of our women, Lord, with breast cancer, in the name of Jesus. Father, just let that thing die in the name of Jesus. For cancer, Lord, for every myoma that's in the body, for brain cancer, for lung cancer, for cancer in the spleen. Father, in the name of Jesus, for cancer in the colon, for cancer in the prostate, for cancer in the blood. Father, the name of Jesus is a strong tower and we run to it and are safe. The name of Jesus is stronger than any name of cancer. Lord, we come to you on behalf of your people. I just ask that you reach your hand down right now Take all the fear out of their hearts, Lord. Take all the fear out of their hearts. Jesus, you died and rose again to set us free from the fear of death. Let there be no fear of death. Let there be no fear of this cancer. But Lord, let a simple rest of faith come within them. 
Lord, reach down your hand and touch them. Let life flow into their bodies. No more death, Lord. Let life flow into their bodies. Jesus, just like you cursed the unnatural growth of the fig tree, let a curse be upon the very root of this cancer at its very roots, and let this cancer die in the name of Jesus. Let your healing flow into their bodies. Let the same spirit that quickened Jesus and raised him from the dead quicken our mortal bodies. Let healing flow, Father. Let healing flow in Jesus' name. Father, I thank you for it. I thank you for weight beginning to be gained again. I thank you for pain going away. Father, for some, let there be an instant miracle. For others, Lord, let there just be from this day forward. From this day forward, they recover. From this day forward, that tumor shrinks. From this day forward, thousands of little miracles every day from this day forward until that thing is gone from their bodies. Father, in Jesus' name, let there be no discouragement in their hearts. Let there be just a simple rest of faith and let there be strength in their physical bodies. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. I want us to pray for another group of people today. You hear me keep talking to you about people called to the ministry. My heart's cry is for revival to sweep our nation. But I'm sorry. Revival is never going to sweep our nation without laborers, without those sent out to preach. How can they hear unless someone preach? And how can they preach unless they're sent? There will never be great revival in our nation just because we have a few good services in church. There has to come a time. And young people, forgive me, many of you, and some of you young professionals, you are reanalyzing your life. You focused on making money. You focused on being successful. You focused on meritocracy. And it's time for you to get focused on the kingdom of God. It is not a wasted life to serve him. It is not a wasted life to give yourself to the kingdom and to give yourself to his people. It is not a wasted life. It is the most joyful, fruitful life you could ever have. Now, many of you have had to reanalyze your life in these days. It's time for you to get back where you belong. It's time for you to follow the call. God in these days has been reaching out and touching your heart again and again. And each time you, you feel the heart pull, <laughs> and each time you... You kind of try to, you want to cut those cords that are pulling on your heart. Don't. I say, how can you know that, Pastor? Because I did the same thing too. But there comes a time of blessed surrender. When you say, Father, I give everything I am and ever will be to you. Use me. And in that time of blessed surrender, your whole perspective of life changes. Would you follow the call? Father, I lift to you those called to the ministry. Oh, Father, in the name of Jesus of Nazareth, reach into their hearts, Lord, and make everything different and changed. They've been taught priorities, Lord. Teach them new priorities. They've been taught dreams. Give them new dreams of souls, dreams of churches full of people, dreams of the kingdom of darkness plundered and the kingdom of heaven filled. Oh, Father, give them new dreams. 
Father, many of them have seen things in church that hurt. They've been leaders and they've been hurt by some of your people. They've been gossiped and lied about and criticized. But Jesus, you went through a lot worse. Paul went through a lot worse. Give them strength, Father. Give them the strength to take a punch. <laughs> Give them the strength to keep moving forward in the call and to not look backwards and to not pay attention to the pimple people in the body, but to focus on the kingdom and to focus on Jesus, the Savior. Father, raise up a whole new generation that have the call burning within them. I thank you for it, Father. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some time in worship.
Before we get into the Word today, I want to talk to you about a tremendous opportunity. We have linked in with Pastor Dag out of Ghana. Normally, I go over every year at this time, and we're part of the Give Thyself Holy Conference, and it's a marvelous pastor's conference. I tell pastors everywhere I go, if you want to learn how to grow a church, do not look at America. Do not look at the West. Look at Ghana. These are people that are building churches and planting churches and filling churches like nothing I've ever seen in my life. And you know what? It's a very replicable model because it's all from the scripture. It's not about marketing and business and the it factor and you got to have money for this and money for that. And it's all about ministry. Now, I say all of that to tell you this. Every day this week, there is on our uh, radio, internet radio, and 531 AM. Uh, the Ghana, the conference is being carried live. You can go to the website and pick up the information. Just go to our website right now or go to our Facebook and look around a little bit. You'll find the, the Give Thyself Holy Conference invitation. It will give you the times, give you the call letters, tell you how to get into the internet radio. Those of you who want to use broadband, those of you who especially live in the southern half of Manila, and down in the Southern Tagalog area, 531 AM will carry it. And we really encourage pastors, connect group leaders, leaders of every type in the church. This is a conference about ministry. This is a conference about how to pastor. All right. And our, a lot of my friends will be preaching there, Pastor Dag and some of the other bishops. These are good friends and these are good men. These are good, good men that love God. These are good men that have done great works. Now, you have to understand, for someone to be called bishop in Ghana, it means they have built a great church, they built a building for that church, and they built a big office block next to it. I mean, they have some pretty strong qualifications. You, you have to be a person of accomplishment. You can't pass to 30 people and be a good politician and be called bishop. These, these folks are, are men that have really done something with their lives. And I would encourage all of you to listen to them. I mean, these, these are men who have borne fruit and fruit that remains. When I get over there, I get so encouraged. You have no idea. I'm like a pig in a mud puddle. I am so encouraged by what I see these men and women of God doing. It is just absolutely amazing. And maybe it's so amazing to me because I look at their economic status. You know, I'd say 80% of the roads of their capital city in Ghana, Accra, are still dirt roads. They're maybe 20, 30, 40 years behind us economically, but oh my goodness, they're far ahead of us in the kingdom. I mean, what they are doing and 
how they do it with the little that they have. It is absolutely amazing. So please, get yourself tuned in. Either 531 Radio or our Cathedral of Praise Internet Station will carry it live and just enjoy yourself. Young people, you're locked in. Seniors, you're locked in. Pastors, lock yourself in. All right, let's open up our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14, beginning with verse 18 today. Paul said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. So Paul was a man who believed. Now this, this would be his prayer language, all right? This would be his prayer. He said, I thank God I speak in tongues more than you all. Paul was a man that prayed in tongues a lot. So please don't look at Paul and say, I don't know if I believe in that or not. Paul did. Nevertheless, in the church, I would rather speak five words with my mind in order to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. He said, listen, you can't stand up in church and just pray in tongues all day. Okay? You, you, just, you can't do that. He said, you have to instruct people. He said, when you come to church, church is for instruction. Okay, Church is for instruction. It's not just getting people all excited. Church is for instruction. Brothers, do not be children in your thinking. Be infants in evil, but in your thinking, be mature. All right? So when it comes to evil, I should be an infant. When it comes to thinking, I should be mature. Okay? He said, now listen. As 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 Christians, we should not be mature in evil. We should not understand evil. There is always going to be some naivete in the minds of Christians about sin. Okay, In the law it is written, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners will I speak to this people. Even then they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Now, by people of strange tongues and by lips of foreigners, he's quoting back from the Old Testament prophets, will I speak to this people? God said, I'll speak to you through foreigners. Thus, tongues are a sign, not for believers, but for unbelievers. While prophecy is a sign, not for unbelievers, but for believers. All right, so tongues and prophecy touch two different groups of people. Tongues are for the unsaved, and prophecy is for the saved. Now, this is why when people say, oh, we shouldn't have speaking in tongues in a service, we shouldn't sing in tongues in the service, it will offend the unbelievers. No, 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 the unbelievers love this stuff. <laughs> if, therefore, the whole church comes together and all speak in tongues, and outsiders and unbelievers enter, will they not say that you're out of your minds? Now, we can't all come together and it's all, notice the phrases all, whole church all. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever outsider enters, he's convicted by all and he's called to account by all. The secrets of his heart are disclosed. So falling on his face, he will worship God and declare that God is really among you. Now, okay, this is how unsaved should be affected. by services. There should be such a manifestation of God in the place that the secrets 
of people's hearts are just closed during the sermon, during the prayer time, whatever. Things are said that touch and reveal the secrets of men's hearts. And they fall on their face and they worship and they declare that God is really among you. So this happens because of the supernatural. It does not happen because of presentation. Not because of presentation. Brothers and sisters, sometimes, and yes, we should do things with excellence. I have no problem with that. But sometimes we are so worried about having a slick presentation and everything is slick and well rehearsed. And what we really need is more of the presence of God. What we really need is more of a flow of the Holy Ghost because that's what brings people to see that God is really among us. What then, brothers? When you come together, each one has a hymn, has a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. In other words, there's more than one person ministering in a service, all right? There's a hymn. There's not, not secular songs. There's a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let it be only two or three at most, and each in turn, and let someone interpret. Now, this is order. We should not just have people speaking in tongues one after another, after another, after another, after another. There should be only two or at the most three per service. Okay, per service. And each in turn and let someone interpret. Okay, there has, this is order. Verse 28. But if there is no one to interpret, let, them, let each of them, all of these two or three, let each of them keep silent in the church and speak to himself and God. Only pray in tongues. Don't stand up and act that this is the gift of tongues. He said, let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. Now notice the word weigh. You know, you, you need to judge prophecy. You know, there are people that want to stand up. Like we had a guy years ago came into our church and started trying to stand up and prophesy judgment over us. And I just stood up and shouted him down. You know, people need to weigh what's said. Just because somebody stands up and says something from God doesn't mean it's from God. Let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another one sitting there, let the first be silent. Okay, here's order. Order in the gifts of the Spirit. You don't say, well, I was speaking first, so you be quiet. No, if another begins to speak, let the first one keep silent. Wow. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirit of the prophets are subjects to the prophet. No one can, you, you, can't, this, you cannot say, God, Holy Spirit made me do it. You, you can't say that because the spirit of the prophets are subject to the prophet. Now, there's a lot of theology in here and I'm just trying to do this devotionally, okay? For God is not the God of confusion, but the God of peace. Peace is the absence of conflict, as in all the churches of the saints. Then he says, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. Wow, women. Now, what does that verse mean? Is that meaning that women can't be pastors? 
Now, if you strictly apply this the way some people apply this, women cannot even speak from the time they walk through the door of the church. I talked to some of my Baptist friends, and we talk about this stuff back and forth. I said, you know, if you really believe what you say that verse means, then from the time a woman walked in the door of a church, she can't speak. She can't ask, where's the CR? She can't sing. She can't lead worship. A woman must have a muzzle on her mouth from the time she walks through the door of a church. If, if that verse means what some Baptist brethren say it means, they should keep silent in the churches. Okay, if a woman is to be silent in the churches, that means no speech at all. She can't say hello to her friend. She can't look at her child and say, Halika. See, obviously, it doesn't mean that. You've got Deborah, the prophet. You've got Hulda, the prophetess. You've got the uh, Anna in, in the, the temple at the birth of Jesus as a prophetess. You've got the seven daughters of, of Philip prophesying. Okay, so you've got all these wonderful things happening. So obviously, that verse doesn't mean what everybody thinks it means. We'll get into what it means when we get into our First Corinthians studies. If there is anything they, the women, desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. For it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Now, again, obviously it doesn't mean what people try to say it means. Because how can you have the seven daughters of Philip prophesying and it be shameful for a woman to speak in church? Hmm. How can you have Phoebe? How can you have deaconesses? How can you have... How can you have this? How, how can you have Paul claiming relatives who are, are apostles and one of them is a female? Obviously, it doesn't mean what people want to make it mean. Verse 36. Or was it from you that the word of God came? Or are you the only ones it reached? If anyone thinks he's a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I'm writing to you are a command of God. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid to speak in tongues. But there are many churches today. No speaking in tongues. I even have relatives that were raised Pentecostal who say, no speaking in tongues in the service. It says, do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently, and in order. Yep, he's taught us the decency and he's taught us the order. All right, let's open up our hearts and spend some more time in worship. We've been walking the same old roads for miles and miles. If you've been hearing the same old voice, tell the same old lies. If you're trying to fill the same old holes inside, there's a better life. There's a better life If you've got pain He's a pain taker If you feel lost He's a way maker If you need freedom A saving He's a prison shaking Savior If you've got chains He's a chain breaker Of day in the dead of night. 
from the same old fight. We've all run the things we know just ain't right. There's a better life. There's a better life. If you've got pain, it's a pain taker. If you feel lost, it's a way if you need freedom, the saving, there's a prison shaking savior. If you got shame, he's a chain breaker. If you believe it, if you receive it, if you can feel it, somebody testify. Before we begin our passage in Ecclesiastes chapter 6, verse 1, I'll just tell you that I'll be changing out the computer. I'm going to bring my uh, Surface Studio from the office to the house and swap them out because this one does seem to have a problem with um, palm rejection. The one here at the house is the oldest one. It's one of the first ones ever released. The one at the office is also first generation, but a later release. So maybe, maybe they're just getting old and it's time to replace, but I'm waiting for the Surface Studio 3. All right. Ecclesiastes chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. There is an evil that I have seen under the sun, and it lies heavy on mankind. A man to whom God gives wealth, possessions, and honor, so that he lacks nothing of all that he desires. Yet God does not give him the power to enjoy them, but a stranger enjoys them. This is vanity and a grievous evil. So there's two things that God must do. God must, one, provide the blessings, and then God must provide ability to enjoy the blessings. 
Now, brothers and sisters, there's a lot of people that are like Solomon. They've gotten great blessings, but they have no ability to enjoy them. Now, part of that is their lifestyle, all right? If a man fathers a hundred children and lives many lives, so that the days of his years are many, but his soul is not satisfied with life's good things, and he also has no burial, I say that a stillborn child is better off than he. <laughs> he said, you, you can have a hundred children and live a long life. But if you're not satisfied with life's good things, folks, you have to learn to be content. You need to learn to be content. For it comes in vanity and goes in darkness, and in darkness his name is covered. Moreover, it has not seen the sun or known anything, yet it finds rest rather than he. Even though he should live a thousand years twice over, yet enjoy no good, do not all go to the one place. All the toil of man is for his mouth, yet his appetite is not satisfied. <laughs> he said, listen, everybody's working really hard to consume it. Verse 8. What advantage has a wise man over a fool? And what does a poor man have who knows how to conduct himself before the king? Better in the sight of the eyes than the wandering of the appetite. This also is vanity and striving after wind. Whoever has come to be has already been named, and it is known what man is, that he is not able to dispute with one stronger than he. The words... The more words, the more vanity. The more words, the more vanity. And what is the advantage to man? For who knows what is good for a man while he lives the few days of his vain life, which passes like a shadow? And who can tell man what will be after him under the sun? Chapter 7, verse 1. This is a very discouraged man. But remember, this is a man who had incredible encounters with God and a, and a man that God said he loved but a man whose heart was slowly pulled away by all of his foreign wives into idolatry, but who came back to God at the end. Always remember the last chapter, the last couple of paragraphs in the book of Ecclesiastes. It makes all of Ecclesiastes make sense to you. A good name is better than precious ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. And you say, how in the world can you say that? Well, a good name always opens doors for you. Why is the day of death better than the day of birth? You go to heaven. You start eternity. There's no more suffering. There's no more pain. There's no more tears. It is better to go to the house of mourning than to go to the house of feasting. For this is the end of all mankind, and the living will lay it to heart. It is better to go to a house of mourning. Have you ever noticed people who don't like their life would prefer to be around mourning than joy? Again, this is his discouragement speaking. Sorrow is better than laughter, for by sad, the sadness of face, the heart is made glad. Sorrow is better than laughter? I thought there's fullness of joy in the presence of God. Again, a discouraged heart is speaking. The heart of the wise is in the house of mourning, but the heart of fools is in the house of mirth. Now, mirth here is different than joy. This is not a house of feasting. This is a house of mirth. This is a house of foolishness. 
It is better for a man to hear the rebuke of the wise than to hear the song of fools. Yeah, very good. For as the crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. All right. The crackling of thorns under a pot produces no heat. The laughter of fools produces nothing. Surely oppression drives the wise into madness, and a bribe corrupts the heart. All right, so oppression. Oppression of government officials. Oppression of the rich and powerful. It drives the wise to madness. This isn't supposed to work like this. And a bribe corrupts the heart. This is, this is what people always say, oh, Pastor Samuel, we have so many corrupt government officials. We would not have corrupt government officials if people wouldn't pay bribes. If you want an honest police force, if you want an honest customs, if you want honest immigrations, don't corrupt people's hearts with bribes. Just do things right. See, it takes a bribe, it takes a briber and a bribee, okay? Better is the end of a thing than the beginning, okay? Better to finish. It's always better to finish than to start. And the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Wow, that's a good thought. Do not be quick in your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the bosom of fools. Okay, even God gets mad, but you don't want to, you never want to stay mad. Lodges, takes up residency in the bosom of fools. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. All right, so wisdom will be a source of speech. Wisdom is good with an inheritance and an advantage to those who see the sun. All right, so wisdom is good, but you need some money to go with it. For the protection of wisdom is like the protection of money. All right, so wisdom protects and money protects. And the advantage of knowledge is that wisdom preserves the life of whom who has it. All right, so protection from wisdom and from money. Now, even in this COVID-19 thing, uh, one of our members spoke to me April, May, something like that. And they said, Pastor... I'll be back in Manila when this is all over. I said, where did he go? And they told me where they went. And they said, you know, Pastor, about three years ago, God blessed us. And I bought this beautiful, he said, it's, it's a farm, but it's not a farm. He said, it's, it's, a, it's a fun farm. And he said, I've got some pigs. I've got chickens. He said, I've got a few dairy cows. He said, I've got some goats. He said, I plant a few vegetables. He said, I've got these variety of things I'm planting. He said, it's kind of a fun farm. And he said, I have a very nice house here that I built. And he said, I'm taking the whole family there. He took his whole family. Now, he'll be back when it's all over. But in the meantime, in this COVID-19, when we're having trouble moving around Manila and we're standing for four hours in line at the grocery store, uh, money has provided him a protection. He's living in an isolated area, grows, and grows his own food of every type, has his own creek where he gets his water from, and he's just enjoying life in the province right now. Clever man. 
Consider the work of the Lord. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other, so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. He said, so sit down and think about this. In my vain life, I have seen everything. Uh, maybe. There is a righteous man who perishes in his righteousness. And there is a wicked man who prolongs his life in evil doing. He said, I don't like that. He said, I I've watched this. I've watched righteous men die in their righteousness. Taking a stand for doing what's right and die for it. He said, and I've watched wicked men prolong their life in evil doing. Now, King David said the same thing. He said, I almost stumbled when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. Do not be overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? Do not be overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Okay, we're talking about moderation. Now, overly righteous, he's not talking about not living for God. I mean, there are people that would use this verse and say, well, you know, you can't be too holier. You know, let's go to the clubs a little bit. You know, Paul has some pretty strong things about to say about living a righteous life that we've been studying in the Sunday services. But again, this is a discouraged man. It is good that you should take hold of this and that you should not with, withhold not from your hand for the one who fears God shall come out from both of them. The one who fears God shall come out from both of them. I like that. Now he gets down to more of that in the end of the book. Wisdom gives strength to the wise man more than 10 rulers who are in a city. So wisdom gives strength. Surely there's not a righteous man on earth who does good and never sins. No, none righteous, no, not one, Paul would say. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. All right, so you will be gossiped about. Now, you know, the king says, hey, folks, you're just going to get used to this. People are going to gossip about you. Your heart knows how many times you yourself have cursed others. He said, hey, you've gossiped about other people too. All this I have tested by wisdom. I have said I will be wise, but it was far from me. That which has been far off and deep, very deep, who can find out? I turned my heart to know and to search out and to seek wisdom and the scheme of things and to know the wickedness of folly and the foolishness that is madness. Now listen, he turned his heart to know the wickedness of foolishness. He wanted to experience the wickedness of foolishness. He wanted to experience the foolishness that is madness. He said, and I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. All right, this is a womanizer, experience. Now this is a guy who, remember, explored wickedness and sin. And he said, there are women whose hearts are snares and nets, and their hands are fetters. He who pleases God escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. You wonder how many times he was taken. 
Behold, this I found. This is what I found, says the preacher, while adding one thing to another to find the scheme of things, which my soul has sought repeatedly, but I have not found. One man among a thousand I have found, but a woman among all these I have not found. See, this alone I found. God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. He said, listen, I found one wise man, but I haven't found a wise woman. He was looking at all the wrong women. Now, please, when you understand this man's life, you understand what he writes. Here's a man who, in his discouragement, he said, 700 wives, 300 concubines, none of them are Israeli. None of them was a Jew. They were the princesses of every kingdom around, but none of them was a Jew. This is why God could choose no one to sit on the throne after him. So, you know, when you look at all the wrong kind of women, you're not going to find wisdom. <laughs> who is like the wise and who knows the interpretation of the king? A man's wisdom makes his face shine and the hardness of his face is changed. When we read through this, we read through the discouraged heart of a very wise man. I mean, the man definitely has incredible wisdom. He is not naive in sin. This man has wisdom in sin. He has explored sin, and he's given you the effect of it. Every day, go back and read the last paragraph. Then you'll understand the book of Ecclesiastes. God bless you. We'll see you tonight at 7 o'clock.